from the back of Christopher Pike's wheelchair, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So please welcome two fuel-injected suicide machines, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. So jumping right into the show, The Wolf of Wall Street is uh, is a great big pile. All right, next movie. You didn't. That's not true. You like this. I, you know what? I, 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 I remember I called you after the screening and I said, wait, this thing is three hours long. And I think there was like a Tuesday from 1992 that they didn't hit on uh-huh. in this movie. It's so long. Yeah. But you know what? I, I've, I have mellowed on it because I just think that not that Scorsese is condoning the behavior of the DiCaprio character. I just think he is giving you a front row seat at the circus, and that's it. I don't know that he's really passing judgment on it. How was your week? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you didn't like it? Well, we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, but in Wait, uh, we just got into it now. I know, but it's like a teaser. See, it's oh suspense. <laughs> so you, so let me get this straight. So yes. you said it sucked. I said I kind of, kind of warmed on it. And then Where's I'm, the suspense now? It's over. And the suspense now. Well, the suspense now is, uh, we're, just for a second, I want to talk about all these, all these freaking layoffs at the studios. Sony's laying people off. Disney's already laid a bunch of people off. These are not good times. Because soon what's going to happen is every studio will make one $500 million movie a year. And they'll charge $10 million yes. per ticket. Yes, and it'll start every A-list actor in Hollywood yeah. playing a com- comic book hero. No, I, I, it's, it's just it, 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 every week there are these new bombshells that just really I find very disturbing. Well, you know, there was an article about – this is not studio-related necessarily, but there was this article about how a lot of uh, visual effects work yes. is all going overseas. You know, there was a really, really good editorial on, uh, on that, which was – I guess what was it on The Wrap? From an effects guy, and it was long. I mean, it was really long, but it went into all of the elaborate details about what the problems are in the effects world. Very, very interesting because we all hear about, oh, well, you know, they, they're all low bidding and so forth and so on. But it, was, it really was very, very illuminating. And um, it's, it, it, you know, kind of proposed – I mean, it, what I didn't realize was that there is this – there's nuclear option. Do you realize this? There's this nuclear option now that they're pushing for to actually – where you can, you can um, slap import duties. You can punish people for shooting their films in other countries and in other states and so forth. You aware of this? I am not. It's, it's interesting. The MPAA is obviously opposed to it, but the idea being that, uh, as I understand it, people can correct me if I'm wrong, and I didn't even realize, that, realize this existed, but the effects uh, companies are basically pushing, and a lot of the other guilds are pushing as well, that if a film, uh, if a movie goes and shoots uh, overseas... In particular, I'm not sure how this would play with uh, with uh, subsidies or with um, uh, tax credits and, and incentives within the United States between different states. That's more of a domestic issue. But if you're going overseas or into another country to shoot because of incentives, there is a way that the U.S. trade representative, I guess, can punish that production by slapping all kinds of duties on it and basically just killing the the uh, the incentives overseas. So instead of making it, so they're they're going to not make it easier to shoot here. And they're going to make it harder to shoot over there. Uh, it, look, it, it, what, what, what was interesting in this editorial was that he said uh, – he pointed out, he goes, uh, Democrats love it because blah, 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 blah. Republicans love it because blah, blah, blah. But Democrats also hate it because – and Republicans also hate it because. So he, he laid out a very interesting political case as to why both Democrats and Republicans – 
um, love doing this, but also have apprehensions about it. And uh, that it's, it's, uh, it's it, meaning that it, it comes with a lot of baggage, and people don't select to do this lightly. So, you know, movies are, movies are hurting. It's, uh, it's bad times. Uh, which brings us back to The Wolf of Wall Street, which is now out in a Blu-ray, DVD, digital HD set. And by digital HD, I mean uh, it's ultraviolet. And uh, you know, I you know what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna say wait because you don't know what to say about it. I am liking DiCaprio more and more. He's starting to grow into himself. I think uh, he carries three all, every second of these three hours. He still annoys me, but he's starting to turn. He's yes. starting to get. He's starting to get a little older. Maybe a couple wrinkles. Not as uh, not as you know young mm-hmm. and beautiful anymore. That makes yeah. him interesting. I liked him in it. Again, I think Scorsese is just giving you a front row seat at the circus. And it was a circus, and uh, it's a long film, but there's a lot going on. And the woman who plays uh, DiCaprio's um, wife, I don't know where she came from, but she's fantastic. She's like Danish or something like she that. She held the screen with yeah. DiCaprio and she did. Jo- it's Margot Robbie, yeah, McConaughey and Kyle Chandler, and of course, ladies and gentlemen, as DiCaprio's father, Rob Reiner. They're pretty great. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. So, you know what? I, I, oh, she's I, Australian. Margot Robbie. She's Australian. What am I thinking? Yeah, she's Australian. Now, I still think that the film doesn't necessarily scream Scorsese. I still feel like this is not Scorsese at his trenchant and best, but it's still a good film. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. What's I, the thing? Like? I find it to be a very – here. I, I think Scorsese has a problem. And I think Scorsese is attracted to, to subject matter where he doesn't see the totality of the movie. He thinks, oh, that scene would be so much fun to shoot. Oh, that would be just a great scene. And he gets addicted to individual scenes and individual concepts and lines. And I think he just sort of sees the punctuation marks and not the complete essay. I think he loves the punctuation. And the, the first thing that occurred to me in this movie, there's about the two-hour mark where it just collapses. It falls off a cliff. Like, the pacing of this thing is gangbusters until the two-hour mark, and then it just, it, it's like it just hits a, 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 a pool of mud in the last hour. It just moves so slowly. And I remember thinking, this feels like they were trying desperately to fine-cut this thing before release, and they only got two hours in, and then they were just like, uh, you know, screw it. we we, we, we got to make our release date, so we'll just leave the last hour flabby as it is and, well, there was and a bunch release of, it as a three-hour movie. There was a bunch of mismatched cuts in this thing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's all and, over the, and place. the thing is that, you know, for the average person to notice that, you know, it's, I mean, yeah. I'm sure he just shot the crap out of it. He had a tough release date. That yeah, said, I will say this. Uh, Matthew McConaughey for, steals this movie. He has one scene. He's on screen for, what, six minutes? It's a five-minute, six-minute scene. Yep, he kills this movie. He steals the whole thing. He he just absolutely kills it. Uh, steals it from DiCaprio. Steals it from Jonah uh, Jonah Hill. Steals it from everybody. And uh, but I don't think it's a good script. I don't think it's particularly well directed. It's flashily directed, and I don't get the point. I, it's like hookers and blow the motion picture. Go do it. I don't. Yeah, I don't a cautionary tale. A bad guy. It's uh, gets not cautionary. It's not cautionary. It's, he doesn't get his comeuppance. He's, he's he, at the end of the movie. He's doing it all over again. It's it's like it's like hookers and blow. They rule. It's awesome. Go go get some. That's like I don't you know. It does. I don't have to be. Mor- it doesn't have to be a morality play. I don't have to have like a lesson taught to me. But there has to be a point. And there's sort of no point. It's just like hey, these guys did a lot of hookers and blow, and they made a lot of money. And uh, all right, see you, bro. I, I don't. I don't. It just doesn't really go anywhere. But whatever. 
Lots of extras on this thing. Gobs and piles and piles of extras. Uh, so, you know. I mean, yes? basically, yes, it, it is what it is. No, there, there's, there's, uh, basically, there's a, uh, a special feature on here called the Wolf Pack, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's fine, but you know, it's. It, let me put it this way: this also will, um, will come out with a. And when I say gobs and piles of extras, I mean there's like none. Uh, they, they, this also will come out with a, uh, a double dip. So, Wade, would you like a piece of a Swiss roll? A Swiss roll. Now, last week I gave you uh, yes, these you snickerdoodle cookies yes. and some chocolate sorbet. Did you like them? Yes or no? Yes, I did very much. Okay. Yep. So I Go made a Swiss roll. Go get it. Now I'm, I have to. Give, I'm, I'm going to caveat this. Okay. I don't like them. Oh really? Yes. The Swiss roll. I think it's a big Swiss roll, and you chop it up into a little. It's problem you have with slices. the Swiss. Uh, it's true. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's very good. But if you like it, that's fine. Okay. I will get you a piece. Go get one. I'm going to blow through a few films. Oh, you'll blow, Boy, all right. I'll blow through a few films while you're at it. Uh, Kaya Scolidario and Jessica Biel uh, star together in The Truth About Emmanuel. Um, this is one of those, you know, Jessica Biel deserves better, proje- better product than this. Um, this is a little independent film. It's released by Wellgo uh, and was part, originally part of the Tribeca Film Library. I'm not quite sure by what uh, arrangement both of those companies are involved in this, but... Anyway, um, the, it's about uh, two women. Uh, Kaya Scoladero lives next door to Jessica Biel, who's kind of weird, and uh, Kaya Scoladero gets uh, kind of a, is a little bit fixated on her because she looks like her mom, who died sometime previously. And, uh, you know, the, the thriller kind of goes from there, and it gets a little bit ridiculous. It doesn't quite play, but the suspense is okay. So it's, it's, it's an interesting film. It's on Blu-ray. Um, don't expect a lot, but if you like the actresses, uh, it's you know I guess it's probably worth a worth a rental. Alpha and Omega Three: The Great Wolf Games is available only at Walmart because the Walmart people are the only people that would actually probably know that there is a third Alpha and Omega movie. Uh, this was directed by Richard Rich, who of course is one of those uh, ex Disney animators uh, who has tried to uh, sort of start his own animation empire. He did. Uh, uh, and, you know, a number of very Disney-esque films uh, in the years, oh gosh, going back probably to the early 90s, uh, including The Swan Princess, which did okay. Uh, anyway, this is um, perfectly serviceable, but I don't see why anybody, I, I mean, the original Alpha and Omega, not that big of a deal. I'm not sure why they're on to already a third one. Bunch of little kitty oriented things here. This is a Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet combo. Again, only available at Walmart since those are, that's the core audience for this thing and then um, before I try this thing that Marcus just put terrifyingly in front of me I don't really like it though but uh, you tell me if you like it alright well I hope you do w- welcome to the jungle is a Guns N' Roses song yeah not here the welcome to the jungle is a very strange movie uh, Adam Brody and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Rob Hubel uh, really anchor this thing Dennis Haysbert shows up for about 16 seconds you know what this is this is like this is like uh, Office Space meets Lord of the Flies by way of Gilligan's Island. If I see another movie where Lord of the Rings meets Gilligan's right. Island meets right. Fla, so Fla. here's the thing. Jean-Claude Van Damme is becoming a pretty funny guy in this second phase of his career. He plays a guy who basically, he's kind of this fraudulent douchebag who, who uh, does these survival uh, 
the what what would you call them clinics? It's like a, like a survival exercise for you know corporate uh, office drones. Like you you get out of the office and you go and you kind of work out your issues on some like little island survival uh, deal. And he you're supposed to develop leadership skills and all that kind of crap. Of course, it turns out he doesn't know what he's doing, and everything goes haywire. And uh, next thing you know, everybody from the office, including Adam Brody, who's like the office space guy, and then Rob Hubel, who's you know the uh, the imperious douchebag in the office who always takes credit for everyone else's work. Suddenly, everybody is trapped on the island, and all of the office politics get uh, turned into kind of a Lord of the Flies situation. And it goes completely absurd. And the next thing you know, there are you know, two factions, and Rob Hubel thinks he's a god, and half of the people are worshipping him as a god. And, you know, it just goes completely off the rails. Very broad comedy. It makes no sense whatsoever. And Adam Brody is, is you know, doing his very best. Uh, what, Rob, what's his name, the guy that was in Office Space? Rob uh, yeah. Uh, Cordry. Yeah, he does his the best impression of that Rob, guy. Uh, yeah, whatever Rob, his name. That guy. Rob. The Office Space guy, whose name I can't remember. Rob Steve. Anyway, you know what? It's a silly movie. It just makes no sense. Uh, but it it it, it just it somehow it wins you over in a strange, bizarre way at the end because everyone is just so completely off the rails. So even though it's dumb, I can't totally dismiss it because it, it just it almost became like a guilty pleasure at a certain point. Not nothing here by way of extra features, just behind the scenes and deleted scene stuff. Uh, Blu-ray and ultraviolet, and maybe ultraviolet's the best way to watch this thing. I guess I don't know. All right, uh, Markle Sparkle. I'm going to eat this thing now, right? You are. And you have to tell me what you think of it. And please, be honest. This is a supposed to, I, I realize I should be taking photos of these things and putting them on Facebook. Why am I not doing that? I don't know. It's kind of too late. What, what kind of dainty bite is that? Well, you told me you Did didn't you like the damn, it. Well, that, you, that scared I mean, me because you like everything. I mean, not that it tastes like crap. I'm just saying okay. that it didn't come out as well okay. as I wanted it to. I All thought right. it would be something different. It's just, like a marzipan thing going on here, right? Uh, the cake uh, has it has a bunch of almond paste in it. Mmm, it's good. Really? Yeah. You know, Phil loved it too. Everybody who's tried this has like has at least liked it or loved it. I'm like, man, it's okay. Mmm, it's good. No, seriously. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Water. More water, please. Uh, well, how am I going to talk about these movies? I'm getting you water. Okay, no, get do the movie. I'll hey, go oh, get no, water. You, huh? I'll get water. You talk about it. You really like that? Yeah. Right. I do. Want another piece? I'm trying to get rid of it because I don't like it. Nah, uh, you know what? I'm gonna, you're going to turn me into a fat pig. Oh, I'm going to be doing the show with like a girdle on. I'll get water. You talk about those. Oh, my God. Okay, The Geography Club is a uh, movie that's uh, not very good. It's about this um, this teenager who uh, is gay. He goes out on dates with girls, but it turns out that he's having a relationship with uh, the local high school quarterback. Um, and, of course, uh, it's very empowering in that sense. And if you are interested in that topic, either from a personal standpoint or political standpoint, then Geography Club is definitely something you should check out. I personally thought that this subject has been covered uh, better and more maturely in other films. But uh, there you go. The cast includes uh, Nikki Blonsky, Anna Gasteyer, Scott Bakula, and uh, that's basically it. So, you know, again, uh, Geography Club telling an important story in a way that I feel like is not that important. That's what I think of that. Wade, did you have your water? I got my water. I'm back. Uh, Larry Fessenden brings us a movie called Beneath. This is one of those. Uh, this L- isn't- Larry Fessenden has the most interesting career. 
Yeah. And by he, interesting, I mean no one's ever heard of it. Well, he just, but he keeps making movies. He, he just, really does. But you know what? These, these are sort of like sci-fi-ish movies. You know what's funny? I, I read an article about, uh, about the Sci-Fi Network, and they said that uh, sci-fi is going to start moving away from all sci-fi. the cheesy. No, well, they're, they're going back to sci-fi. They're going to start moving away from all the cheesy. Now, Sharknado, they'll still have a Sharknado every year because Sharknado is such a social media phenomenon. But all the other ones, those cheesy sea movie adventures with dinosaurs in the desert or something, they're going to dump all those because they want another Battlestar Galactica. They want another water cooler show, you know, a serious water cooler sci-fi show. So they, they're dumping movies like, uh, like that. And Beneath, I think, would be one of them because it's about a bunch of kids who they, they fight for survival against this weird, crazy thing in the ocean. They're on a boat, no wars. Crazy monster in the ocean, and uh, there you go, beneath. It's ridiculous. I mean, come on, people. How do these movies get made? I don't know. You know what? Right here, AFM. This mm-hmm. was all over AFM. I know. Don't you think? Yeah. Finally, we have Best Friends Forever, and uh, this is a bizarre little culty film. It's kind of, it's funny. The back of the box explains it as a post-apocalyptic Thelma and Louise, and uh, there's definitely something there. Anyway, it's about uh, these two girls who wind up uh, on a road trip to Austin, Texas, and uh, as they drive away, the world is destroyed by a nuclear apocalypse, And uh, but they're going anyway, and they're going to survive. So it's a dark comedy, got some funny stuff, not a great script. In terms of one-liners, it's a little bit too like all sarcastic and ironic, and uh, that's kind of like a kind of like a deadbeat for me, but uh, there's some funny, funky stuff in it, directed by someone I've never heard of named uh, Somebody. Uh, Brea Grant who you know maybe she might graduate from this to something low budget as opposed to no budget but um, this little thing called Best Friends Forever is uh, it's kind of interesting if you, if you like underground films never seen films films that kind of will surprise you maybe Best Friends Forever of the three I just talked yeah. about that's what I'd totally. go for totally alright okay our giveaway last week was the uh, movie that I'm going to talk about right now Angels in Stardust Starring Alicia Silverstone, who's now playing moms. Isn't that weird? Alicia Silverstone is playing moms. There was a moment, and the moment lasted for about five years, where she was hot. And was it that long? She was yeah. bad. She was bad girl, and then it was over. That's true. Uh, anyway, she's really good in this, and I'd forgotten how much I can actually enjoy Alicia Silverstone when she's not uh, trying too hard. Uh, and the idea here—it's you know—it's it's a, a coming-of-age film, young girl in this uh, kind of out-of-the-way town. Stardust is the uh, when they say angels in Stardust. Stardust is the uh, the name of the town where this this uh, this drive-in used to be, and um, uh, there you know I want to say this is a little bit like uh, like Field of Dreams. There's a Field of Dreams quality to this, and I'll I'll only leave it about that. Billy Burke plays this cowboy who's sort of the uh, you know the, everything the the whole mystery of the thing centers around him. But it's it's a it's a really solid film, good family film. And uh, I, I think uh, the, the three people who have now been alerted as winners of this DVD are going to be very happy with it. Uh, really a, a, quite a sweet film. Hopefully this does something for Alicia Silverstone's career and gets her, uh, gets her a little bit of uh, traction again. Because she's a better actress than I think she got a lot of credit for. And fortunately people try to turn her into something that she wasn't, which is this you know, mega you know, icon. No, she was never going to be a mega icon. But they tried to do that to her. You know, that was Mark Canton who did that. You know that. Mark, Mark, Can- Mark Canton, when Mark Canton was running Columbia, when he was running the you know Columbia Pictures, um, he 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 was the one that decided he was going to pay Alicia Silverstone twelve million dollars for her next movie, based on Clueless, and everybody was like, "Are you kidding me? Do you realize what you just did? 
You just you just raised everyone's quote with that. You just you just blew out all of our budgets, and suddenly all the agencies and all the other actors they're like, if Alicia Silverstone is getting twelve, then I I expect to me more to get nineteen, and I think so. And suddenly everybody wanted more, and there were like male actors who were getting Alicia Silverstone was getting twelve, I should get sixteen, and it it's it started screwing with everybody's bottom line. It really, it just, that's what happened. Mark Canton, it was just this unbelievably irresponsible thing. He decided to pay her like $12 million, and it just killed everything for a while. She and then was Her worth career it. tanked, and then everything went back to normal. But she was worth it. Anyway. Um, let's talk about uh, a, couple of foreign, a couple of foreign language films here. One is Camille Claudel, 1915. Um, if, now, I am a gigantic, massive, monster fan of the original film Camille Claudel from the uh, 1980s, which starred Isabella Gianni as the famous French uh, sculptress who, of course, went bonkers later in her career, but who, you know, was a, a, uh, an acolyte of um, Rodin and uh, had an affair with him at one point. And I think it's a that is a positively brilliant film that should be on Blu-ray at some point. Uh, for some reason, I can't even find the Blu-ray when I go to Paris. But uh, the original you can Camille Claudel, yeah, you can go to Paris, go to Paris, go to Paris, take me go to Paris. All right, there, that's <laughs> what I think of you. Um, but th- this is this is not that movie. This uh, is entirely takes place in 1915 when Camille Claudel had already been committed to an asylum, and the whole thing takes place inside the asylum with people who, quite frankly, look like they really are in an asylum. I don't think any of these, some of these supporting actors, actually are actors. I think they just went and recruited a bunch of crazies. And you know, I'm sorry if that's politically correct, incorrect, but man, it's just deeply disturbing. The problem is this movie is just lugubrious. It just drags, and it's just self-indulgent. And Juliette Binoche is wonderful in the in the lead. I mean, she's really, really good. But the big problem is this is a Bruno Dumont movie. Now, if you're not familiar with Bruno Dumont, D-U-M-O-N-T, uh, he is one of the more cantankerous and um, self-absorbed of the uh, current crop of French auteurs. And he's... Um, He's a bit of an unpleasant fellow. I have a Bruno Dumont story. There was a... This was about six or seven years ago. Um, I was moderating the uh, panel, the Meet the Filmmakers panel at Colcoa, okay? Which is where, you know, all the filmmakers who've come in who have movies at the City of Light, City of Angels Film Festival. There's, uh, you know, on like usually the second afternoon of the festival... There's, a, there's an introductory afternoon panel, and I've done this a few times, where you sit and you, you interview them and you talk about them, and everybody talks about this and that and the other thing. And sometimes it goes better than, you know, it's tough talking to like seven or eight people all at once and giving everybody their due in, in about a 45-minute span. It's not easy. But, you know, you, you go through the motions, and, you know, everybody kind of does, does it a little bit. And I did this one. Bruno Dumont was there with, with uh, one of his earlier films. And... Gesundheit. <coughs> Thank you. And a bunch of the other filmmakers were there, and some did comedies and whatnot. And almost immediately, Bruno Dumont, like, my, I, I had some question to him, some benign question. And almost immediately, Bruno Dumont basically insults everyone else on the panel. He said something to the effect of, you know, well, uh, some of us here, uh, you know, come here because we actually make decent films of the art, and we're not just in it to blah, 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 whatever. It was just a complete backhanded slap. It was effectively saying... Yeah, I'm the only person up on this stage who's actually made a real movie, and the rest of these guys and that lady over there, they're all a bunch of frickin' losers, and I want nothing to do with them. That was essentially the gist of what he said. And 
you could you you once he said it in French, you could hear a pin drop because half the room, if not two thirds of the room, speak French and clearly understood what he was doing. And you know, my friend Robin, who was doing the translation. She was sitting there, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and we're like, I, I have no idea how we extricate ourselves from this. And everyone else on the panel is squirming because they all obviously realized Bruno just took a shot at them. And some magical way, Robin came up with a translation that sounded like he wasn't taking a shot at them. She somehow took his insult and spun it into something. Well, that's not good. He sh- the translation should... Convey the spirit of the original remark. Robin saved the evening. I'm just saying, Robin saved that entire Lame. event. She saved that entire event. Lame. She took she took the the venom, the poison, the bile out of it, and everybody else kind of took a breath, and somehow it got back on track. But man, what a jerk he was! I mean, really, what a, just a, an unbelievable jerk! It's like there's no sense of graciousness, no sense of appreciation for his peers. Anyway. So, that being said, Camille Claudel, some people love this thing, but I say rent the original. Um, and then um, The Past from uh, Oscar Farhadi. This was a big deal. So the, good. This was a big deal at the Cannes Film Festival last year. It's great. Stars uh, Berenice Beho, of love course, it. from The Artist. Rent it. And uh, Oscar Farhadi, of course, previously did A Separation, which better. you know was, is, is one of the great uh, Iranian films of the past 20 years or so. And I, I have to say, you're more excited about this movie than I am. Love it. Here's here. Well, first of all, uh, Oscar Farhadi, Persian filmmaker, not my kind of Persian filmmaker. I prefer the more poetic guys. You know, uh, the the the, uh, the the previous generation of Iranian no, filmmakers. This guy's a total. This guy's a total realist. He's a total realist. Yeah, he's not one of the one of the sort of uh, existential poetics. He's, no. he's Yeah, he's not like the Makhmalbafs and 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 all those guys. No. But here's the story. You got uh, this woman who has had a series of husbands, and she's living in Paris, and uh, played by, obviously, Berenice Beho. And uh, Tahar Rahim is uh, one of her ex-husbands who has come from Iran to give her a divorce because she wants to marry a new guy. And there are all of the, and then, of course, there's, you know, her kids, and there are, the, there are all of these revelations. There's a series of sort of cascading revelations in the film that carry the narrative forward. And the thing about Farhadi, as we saw in A Separation, is he's very much a structuralist. He really structures his stories very deliberately. And, the, you know, the, there's, there's definitely a template for all of the, for the way everything, all the events fit together. He's very, very focused on screenplay. But I felt the mechanics of the screenplay here. I felt the gears. I felt the turning points. And I got very tired of the fact that nobody in this movie is forthcoming. Everybody, every time somebody tells, gives you some revelation... It's only half a revelation. The other half of the revelation comes like six or seven scenes later. And then another six or seven scenes later, there's another part of the revelation that they didn't give you. And no one is completely forthcoming. Everybody just lets their, lets their secrets out in a very slow drip. And it feels really contrived to me. It just, it just, I just kept thinking, if everybody had just come clean in the first five minutes of this movie, you would have saved me a lot of time and you would have saved everybody else a lot of trouble and there never would have been a movie. Would it you just have feels thought really that? drawn out. It feels really drawn out. Would you have thought that if it's, this film came before a separation? Yeah, I would have. Because I'm not that big a fan of a separation either. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I, see, I know the rest of you are all nuts for that movie. But I, I, I just, I feel the gears. I, I respect him as a filmmaker and as a writer, but I feel the gears. I'm very aware of the mechanics. It's like the face of the watch is off. I'm staring at the guts of the thing. I'm looking at the, the mechanics. I'm not as focused on the 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 elegance and the... You know, stories should feel impromptu. Even if they're very constructed, 
they should be smoothed over so that there's an impromptu feel to it. I never get the impromptu feel here. I'm very aware of the fact that there's a writer pulling the strings, and he needs to kind of back off a little bit. Wade, we've uh, learned now that you're lame. Totally. Absolutely. You need to do some uh, British crap that no one cares about. I know. I I will get to that in a moment. And then uh, real quickly, as far as older movies, I want to make mention of this. There's a Blu-ray set out, the Best of Bogart Collection. Um, This is good. There's not a ringer in the bunch. There's not a ringer in the bunch. Now, there are are fancier sets for the African Queen and and, uh, Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon, obviously, and Treasure of Sierra Madre. Um, But you get all of them here with some collectible art cards in one Blu-ray set. So if you don't want to go out and and, uh, if you haven't actually purchased these movies individually, you can actually get them all now uh, in uh, in this one collection, and it's pretty great. A lot of special features, all the all the real fun stuff in the that you get in in, in the other sets. Um, that great African Queen uh, documentary and wonderful commentaries here. Uh, you know, Rudy Belmer's on Casablanca is fantastic. You get the Roger Ebert commentary on Casablanca as well, and uh, Eric Lax's commentary on Maltese Falcon is pretty fantastic. Um, so, you know, tons and tons of extras and, and really great stuff. So all in one set, not bad at all. Really uh, a great bargain, and uh, that's strictly for people who don't already have any of the other sets. But those other sets are pretty fantastic, especially the anniversary set of uh, Casablanca. So, you know, I recommend this for people who kind of feel like, yeah, I'm not going to blow the bank on the, on the anniversary sets and all the additional stuff, and I really don't want to spend a lot of, uh, waste a lot of shelf space, so... Can't go wrong. Great transfers. And if ultimately all that matters is the movie and the transfer, you can't go wrong. These are, these are great. Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, Treasure of Sierra Madre, and the African Queen, and the best Bogart collection from Warner Brothers on Blu-ray. Uh, wait, on the other end of the spectrum is uh, Together. This is a uh, film starring Nick Cassavetes before he became a director. He, of course, is the son of uh, the great John Cassavetes. Apple falls really far from the tree with that one. Exactly. Also, is a very young and pudgy-looking Jeremy Piven. It's also in this. This is from 1992. It's about a uh, man and woman who uh, meet and have a have lots and lots of sex and lots and lots of alcohol, and then wind up having what they call a Vegas hangover, which means they got married. Oh yeah. And of course, they sober up and realize that they really shouldn't be married, so they get a divorce, and that's when all the fun ensues. This film, I thought, was. Um, this is a bizarre little movie. It just it, it, it wants to be kind of like almost like a sincere, almost reflective kind of love story. But in the end, I just find it kind of silly. Um, I don't know who's going to possibly rent this together. Uh, maybe fans of uh, maybe Jeremy Piven completists, possibly. Oh, you know, he, by the way, speaking of that, um, uh, uh, Mr. Suffrage, the um, his BBC, sh- his British show, you know, where he plays the uh, the guy who established the. Um, the uh, the mall you know the the, the 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 not the mall but the the department store the famous department store suffrages in London right yeah that starts again soon the second season love it it's really good wait suffrages or suffrages su- it's called it, you pronounce it suffrage it's not selfridge it's suffrage Mr Suffrage yeah it's a new season starting up soon and Jimmy yes. Piven's in that yeah he plays suffrage he's American the American guy he went to London he he, he introduced Londoners to the department store concept Didn't you, don't you know this what where have you been what are you in a cave what <laughs> I've not been to London in like, like fifteen years. I miss it. I love that town. I used to go there like every couple of years. I'd go spend a, yeah, like a sure. week in London. I did. You know that? Yes, I know. I, I flat swapped with our friend Ian. I know. I remember that. Well, anyway, uh, nineteen seventy nine. There's a really unusual movie that I had never heard of by Stephen Verona, uh, called Boardwalk. You familiar with this? this I am not. Seventy nine movie. I am not. Lee Strasberg, uh, Ruth Gordon, and Janet Leigh. 
1979, Ooh, right? Interesting uh, cast. Yeah, it's uh, Fluff. It's okay. Uh, Stephen Verona co-wrote it, co-wrote it with Lee Chapman and uh, directed it. And um, really unusual little uh, independent film. Um, it, it nicely acted, I guess. Um, just it's one of those movies. It's, it's very Altman-esque, I guess, on a certain level. It just feels like some of those movies that Altman was making, like Streamers and. A lot of those little, very uh, come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. A lot of that late seventies, early eighties stuff. It just it feels very kind of fringy, but I don't know. <coughs> Boy, I got something caught in my throat. Uh, anyway, um, it takes place in um, a uh, Brooklyn neighborhood uh, behind the uh, behind the boardwalk, where you've got uh, this old dude and his wife, played by Lee Strasberg and Ruth Gordon. Um, and uh, their lives have been tranquil almost uh, to a fault until something happens. And uh, that's where it becomes kind of a theatrical tour de force. And I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Strasberg as, a, as an acting teacher. I think, you know, the method is a bunch of crap. Uh, Ruth Gordon, I'm a fan of more as a screenwriter than an actress. I think she just kind of ham- started hamming it up in Rosemary's Baby and never never quit. You know, from, Oscar for that. I know from Rosemary's Baby through uh, Harold and Maude, she just basically was playing the same character over and over. Ah, which is, let me tell you, yeah, crazy. But uh, as a screenwriter, she's great. That and Janet Lee is kind of along for the ride. I got I got to be honest, it's um, I, I'm it, it's. It's just a strange movie, um, but a lot of really great people worked on this, uh, from editor Tom Noble to uh, director of photography Billy Williams, who was one of the uh, two co-winners of, of the Oscar for Gandhi a few years later, great British DP. Um, I just I just don't know what to make of this movie. It's very strange, and I was completely unaware of its existence. So Boardwalk, uh, Stephen Verona film from 1979. And uh, then before we get into television... Um, Couple little animated things here to, to make mention of. Uh, for Marvel fans, Avengers Confidential, uh, Black Widow, Punisher. Uh, I I am beginning to get a little bit tired of all of the superhero animated stuff. There, it's really overkill. It seems like every week DC comes out with some new Batman and Superman title, and the Avengers stuff never ends. This is really well animated. It has a certain uh, anime quality to it. Um, but I, I just, I, I just don't. This is, this feels, in a strange way, this feels like they are trying to use the, use the whole Avengers animated world to sow some seeds for yet another Avengers movie. It all feels kind of mercenary. It feels a little overly cross-pollinative. Is that a word? You know, I have to say, but you have to admit, yeah, that this has nothing to do with the animated version. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. What Marvel has done. It is extraordinary, yes. Three Iron Man films. I know. Two Captain America films. I know. One Avengers film. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember when we were kids and it was like th- there'd be a very special issue of Captain America where like Spider-Man would show up? Yeah. And like, oh my God, Spider-Man is going to be in next month's Captain America. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Imagine like if you knew that when you became an adult. Yeah. A studio would spend like, you know, $225 million to see that happen on screen. Yeah. And the only, the only bummer is that Spider-Man is, is owned by Sony. I know. That's the bummer. 
Well, they can't here, get Spider-Man to an Avengers movie. Here it feels like they're. I mean, the idea here is basically that Black Widow captures the Punisher, and then Nick Fury sends Punisher and Black Widow out to, on a mission to stop Leviathan. And it just feels like, okay, so you're planning on introducing the Punisher again for the third time, hoping the third time's a charm, and then Leviathan's going to somehow show up, and somehow you're you're just you're you're just kind of uh, sowing seeds and you're treading water and trying to sort of find a way to to I don't know create a more fertile environment to. To push this to another level, I, it just—it's starting to feel very burdensome. I don't like having to keep track of all the Avengers characters and all of their various permutations. I feel it's very exhausting. Because when we were kids, all we had were the comic books. Yeah, we didn't have Blu-rays and DVDs and big-budget movies to, uh, you know, fill yeah. out the experience. And you wish you had. I guess. Anyway. And then the last one is uh, Jeff Dunham's Ahmed Saves America on Blu-ray, the animated movie. Uh, I'm not a huge Jeff Dunham fan. We've talked about Jeff Dunham before. But uh, this is, you know, um, Ahmed, of course, is the dead terrorist. It, if you, you, you either have heard of that or you, you haven't. Just If you've never heard of Ahmed, the dead terrorist, then don't bother. Just turn, tune the, to- the podcast out and go somewhere else and uh, get, you know, eat something or drink something, get a fast food. Um, anyway, this is, a, uh, this is just Jeff Dunham's uh, particularly unique sense of humor funneled into an animated movie that uh, was originally aired on Comedy Central. And, um, you know, it's strictly for Jeff Dunham fans. It's, it's uh, very short. It's only an hour long. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it ain't Beavis and Butthead. That's for sure. And I wish it were. Anyway. All right. Mark, television. Tell us what we should watch. Uh, television, we have uh, Veep. Now, Veep is the uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus show. This uh, won a couple of Emmys uh, recently. Uh, I, I have to say that um, I was never a fan of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I'm just, I'm not. I don't know mm-hmm. why. However, I'm a huge fan of Armando Iannucci, who created the show. Uh, Iannucci is the guy who brought us in the loop, which was absolutely a scathingly hilarious you must, must rent it or buy it. Uh, political satire. Love that movie. And uh, Iannucci is the guy who created Veep. So there's definitely some um, great satire going on here. Some good laughs. I was never a fan of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I know I'm in the minority, but uh, there you have it. So this is um, season two of Veep. Of course, the third season uh, starts soon. Check that out. Also, um, Californication. Boy, that's just... One of those shows I never got into. I'm watching this thing going. I don't get it either. I get. I like Duchovny, but I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I'm glad that he found himself a second act after um, X Files, as opposed to Julian Anderson, who had to go all the way to, to Europe, you know, to mm-hmm. find a second act. So I'm glad for Duchovny, but this is just a sex craze, culty sort of a show that is slowly coming to an end. And season six is on DVD, not Blu-ray, which is, of course, uh, terrible. Because these things need to be on Blu-ray. Yep. All right. Can't Wait, be, do, be, do yes, what? yes. I, was, I didn't know if you're going to do some British crap. No one cares about. No, no, no. I, I got a few other. We got some other TV stuff here. We do. Yes, we do. We sure do. Uh, I'm going to blow through these real quickly. Uh, Devious Maids, the complete first season. This is Mark Cherry's attempt to uh, basically do Desperate Dead. Housewives uh, Redux. Dead. Not as good. And it's because the cast isn't as good. It's too bad. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a cute idea, but he's trying to skew it younger. He's trying to skew it more uh, millennial. He's trying to, I don't know. He's he's sort of trying to do the same thing a different way, and that never really works. Um, this is uh, this is on Lifetime, 
and it kind of deserves to be on Lifetime, frankly. Um, it doesn't really. It just. It. I just wish. It, you know. It, it. I just wish it held together better. But uh, it's got a little bit of the Mark Cherry thing going. Um, so you know, if you're. I guess if you're a Lifetime fan, maybe this uh, fits the bill. But uh, it didn't really work for me. Uh, Continuum season two. I. This is one of those sci-fi series. Mark was talking earlier about how sci-fi is looking for that 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 series that you know that thing that just takes off and becomes a, a viral phenomenon and becomes a, a thing. And I. This ain't it. Um, this is a, a, about a woman who's a, a cop from the future in the year 2077 who is in the present and trying to stop these terrorists from you know doing what terrorists always do in time travel movies whether it's anything from a Star Trek time travel movie to uh, you know uh, what Terminator to you know any of the, any of the other any of them it's just they're, they're, people go back in time to try to screw up the future I don't really not in Looper true not in Looper which is why Looper is a little bit better uh, thing is you know that only works in a in a in a framed narrative where you know that you're going to resolve that story as a as a kind of a TV concept, it never resolves. So you know that you're always going to be chasing your tail. And that, uh, that's why I don't think this show works too well. But um, it's, lo- it's beautifully done. And uh, Rachel Nichols is a very good actress. And I think she's probably got a career in features. So when, she doesn't, when she's not uh, chained to this thing anymore, look for her to make that jump. And uh, then we have Flashpoint, the final season. Uh, this is on DVD, not on Blu-ray. Uh, Flashpoint's got a following. I watch it, and I just think this is SWAT. It, that's all it is. It's just a SWAT all over again, and I, I liked it better the first time when it had a better theme song. Um, so this is the last season of that, uh, courtesy of Paramount and CBS DVD. And if you're a fan, you're a fan. If not, you're not. And then Key and Peele, increasingly very, very funny. This is seasons one and two. These guys are really talented. You were the one who had me go to YouTube and watch the, uh, the Liam Neeson Oh my gosh, it's so funny. It's just so funny. Uh, you know what, these guys, they, they are really blowing up big. They, um, the whole idea here is it's a little bit uh, like uh, Little Britain. You know, it's almost a Little Britain angle with a couple of guys who sort of, they, I mean, a lot of it is, is racial. They obviously come at it from the point of view of a couple of, you know, black American guys, which it, it, has a, it feels a little bit like uh, Living Color. It has a little bit of the Living Color sensibility to it. But because it's two guys who are doing everything, it's like Little Britain, and uh, they're unique, and they're talented, and some of the stuff works better than the other stuff, but the stuff that really works well works amazingly well. And it's also, they have a great team of people with them who, you know, really direct the hell out of these bits, and uh, it's all very funny. This is seasons one and two, uh, and um, these guys are going to be starting to do movie stuff very soon. They're, they're Good Burger 2. No, no, no. They're blowing up big. They're blowing up big. And, uh, hang on, the FBI from, um, yeah, this is, you know, one of those old Quinn Martin series. Uh, This has been slowly released season by season through the Warner Archive collection, and uh, it always bears mentioning because everybody forgets that it's out there. You know, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was the star of it. And lots of, as with all these uh, Quinn Martin shows from the 1960s, a lot of amazing guest spots, uh, you know, uh, Lindsay Wagner, the bionic woman, uh, of course, shows up, and uh, a lot of other interesting... Uh, John Colicus is in this, by the way. Remember John Colicus? John Colic? John Colicus. Who's he played, that? 
Oh my gosh. John Colicus. That's like a monster. Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, he's cool. He was in Star Trek. He was in a Star Trek episode, I'm pretty sure. Yes, he was. He played a Klingon. Yes. And he he was also in one of the best all-time night galleries. Did you ever see the night gallery? He's the guy who's doomed to always be on ships that sink. I was never a huge night gallery Oh my guy. gosh, it's, it's amazing. It's like he was on the Titanic and he was on the Lusitania and he's on the Andre Doria and he's on all, every every ship that ever He just he survives and then he's on a lifeboat and the next ship that rescues him is a ship that's going to sink. It's a it's a great it's a great night gallery. He's just a loon on it. Anyway, so he's in this as well. And you know, the FBI was a really good show, really solid, well written. Uh, but it just it this is the uh, seventh season out from Warner Archive Collection, and uh, they don't show up very often. So uh, keep your eye out for that. Go to WarnerArchive.com. Oh, wait, speaking of Night Gallery, we have uh, another anthology show called Monsters. Now this thing never really took off. There's uh, it's on DVD now, 72 episodes on nine DVDs in a box set. Now, just to give you a sense of um, the quality of Monsters, I'm going to read to you some of the uh, featured performers, some of the guest oh, stars. Oh, dear. You ready? Yeah. Adrian Barbeau. Oh, my gosh. She was married to John Carpenter. Frank Gorshin. He was married. No, he wasn't. He was, married to, he was not married to John Carpenter. He was married to Batman. Uh, Tori Spelling. John Saxon. John Tom, Saxon was in uh, uh, of the Dragon. Billy Drago. Yeah, Billy Drago. I don't believe that's his real name. No. I've never believed that. Anyway, so it's uh, this. I found none of these even remotely worthy of one second of a Twilight Zone. Now the effects are more elaborate. It's more horrific because it's about monsters. But I'll take Twilight Zone any day of the week over monsters. All right. And then wrapping out television, a couple of animated things here. Um, Winx Club. The complete original season one. I can't say that I really endorse this. Having a little girl is basically about a bunch of crime-fighting fairies. And uh, it's got that whole funky animation. they got pointy chins. And it's got that whole new nouveau animation look that's so hot right now that I don't particularly care for. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, I prefer Josie and the Pussycats in outer space, personally. And then also the Venture Brothers, the fifth season on Blu-ray, uh, which has a couple of uh, bonus specials on it as well. Uh, as with all this Adult Swim stuff, it continues to completely escape me. But the Venture Brothers and their uh, strange, you know, gadgety, hyper-futuristic uh, adventures just, I guess... I, you know, anybody who likes to build crap, anybody who likes, uh, you know, the science of animated engineering, I guess this is uh, this is a very ho- popular show. But, you know, it's like to me, it's like Johnny Quest meets uh, Professor Gadget. What was his name? Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget. Johnny Gadget. Quest. Go, go, Gadget. Like, yeah, whatever. I hated that show. What? Hated it. Really? Oh, Don Adams. Worst. Don Adams. Hated Get it. smart. No, I know. I hated it. Never liked it at all. Um, let's, uh, let me, you know, just real quickly, uh, a bunch of really cool titles from First Run Features, who releases all their stuff now in this uh, eco-packaging, these, these little thin eco-packaging things. They've, they've released a lot of really cool titles in recent weeks. Uh, I'm just going to name a few of these for those who, uh, who you know, they're all, it's all very specialized, so if this is your thing, you'll be totally into it. Documentarian Alan Miller made a great movie called Speak the Music, Robert Mann and the Mysteries of Chamber Music. Robert Mann is one of the great American violinists of all time. He's uh, played forever in the uh, Juilliard String Quartet. This is all about uh, his his expertise. He's a really colorful character. He's wonderful. Uh, Buying Sex is a movie about the uh, debate over legalizing prostitution. 
And uh, it doesn't really, you know, if, you, if you're for it, you're for it. If you're against it, you're against it. This isn't really going to uh, change your opinion one way or the other, but it really does immerse you in the world of uh, prostitution in uh, a very upsetting and disturbing and unsettling way. Um, it's not going to change anyone's mind, but uh, it certainly de-glamorizes that world. I'll tell you, if anybody still thought that it was, like, really cool to be a hooker and to be, you know, uh, part of that world, you've got another thing coming. Uh, the Last Elvis is a, uh, a really interesting uh, Brazilian movie about a guy who is an Elvis impersonator in Buenos Aires and uh, how his life changes in some rather critical ways and forces him to sort of reevaluate his priorities. Um, interesting character study, very nicely done. Uh, one of the better recent uh, Brazilian imports, and they just don't get here very often, uh, directed by a guy named Armando Bo. Great uh, performance by John McEnery and Griselda Siciliani. Good film. And then uh, Happy House, very interesting little independent film um, um, about a uh, couple from Brooklyn who uh, are trying to fix their marriage at this uh, bed and breakfast, and it turns out to not be even remotely what they thought it was. It is, uh, it is dark and funny and terrifying and weird and very uh, Lynchian in, in, in all the best possible ways. Uh, this film should have had a much, much bigger following. It should have been released theatrically in a big way. Did not get it, but it's really well worth looking at. Uh, to Dance Like a Man is about these uh, three triplets from Cuba who are pretty spectacular dancers. If they weren't triplets, I'm not sure they would have a movie here, but um, it's it's still it's a real fun movie, and it's about an hour long and a wonderful tribute to, uh, to dance just in general. Uh, People of a Feather is... Um, I don't want to say it's a global, you know, it, it doesn't really dovetail too much with global warming. Um, but it is certainly a wonderful look at life in the Arctic. And um, it took, this was shot over the course of seven winters in the Arctic, by the way. So it took a long time to make this movie. Um, it, 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 obviously, global climate change does play a part in this. But don't think that this is like a movie that's lecturing and preaching, you know, the, the woes of, of climate change to you. It's a, it's a character study. It's a, it's a look at a way of life that's vanishing. And it will continue to vanish even if uh, climate change is reversed. So um, really, really interesting kind of uh, look at, at Inuit lifestyles and, uh, you know, vanishing way of life. And then lastly, the Euler House, Richard Neutra's Desert Retreat. Richard Neutra, of course, the amazing legendary uh, architect who was um, asked in 1959, who was hired to design a home for a guy named Richard Euler, out in the uh, in the desert, and uh, they forged a friendship, and it you know the result was the Euler House, which is one of these uh, extraordinary kind of Frank Lloyd Wright ish landmarks in American architecture, and this is all about that effort. So uh, that is uh, that's really interesting as well. So a lot of great stuff from First Run Features. Oh, from uh, the Milestone uh, Company, we often uh, talk about Milestone stuff. We have a great film called Comeback Africa. Comeback Africa was uh, directed by Lionel Rogerson. And uh, also on this DVD, it's a, it's a, it's a film about um, apartheid, and it's just wonderful. Uh, also included here is uh, another Rogerson film called Black Roots, which is a great documentary that includes, you know, it's music and it's uh, spoken word and poetry. It's, it's a great encapsulation of, of the black experience. And uh, so it's two really good films, all about African-American concerns. It's, uh, it's packaged in... A Blu-ray called Comeback Africa. 
Highly recommended, Wade. Fantastic. Sweet. And uh, I want to give a shout-out real quickly to uh, some new titles from uh, Megahertz, Megahertz Networks, who keeps bringing all of these fantastic uh, foreign-language documentary TV shows, uh, not documentary, but foreign-language uh, detective shows uh, from other countries uh, to the U.S., stuff that just nobody else is touching, a lot of great shows in other countries. And because for some reason, people love bringing foreign-language movies over, but they don't like bringing foreign-language television shows. So... We get uh, this fascinating Swedish show, a lot of really good stuff, Crimes of Passion, uh, which is the first six episodes of uh, this fascinating whodunit show, uh, which is, takes place right after World War II in Sweden. Uh, and it's, they're really great whodunits. I've seen so many whodunits, I thought I've seen you know, enough Columbo and, and Murder, She Wrote, to last a lifetime, and then I can figure all this stuff out. Man, cannot wrap myself around these. They are, uh, they are uh, really, really hard to get around. And then the first two seasons of Bracco. Um, uh, Bracco is uh, a French series that is pretty gritty and pretty tough. It is uh, surprisingly gritty, actually, for a French show. I, I, I was shocked. I, the French don't usually make stuff on the, on the level of... Uh, you know the wire and some of that tougher uh, kind of cable stuff, but man, this is uh, this is really really good, and it's pretty close actually. Uh, I would say to the the stuff that the French, the really the gritty part of the French police have to actually deal with. So, um, a lot of really good writing here in the first two seasons of Bracco, B R A Q U O. Barack Obama. Exactly, and then we've talked about Spiral previously. Um, Spiral is a uh, another French series. This is uh, season three of Spiral. And uh, this is also a, a cop thriller show. It takes place in Paris. And uh, I would say not as good as Bracco, but pretty great. Uh, pretty great just the same. So the, the, the French stuff is getting better and better. And uh, tribute to um, all, the, uh, all the good people at Megahertz Networks for bringing all this stuff over. Really good. Um, let's see what else we've got here. You know, a few British uh, things. I'll just make quick mention of some of, the, uh, some of these British shows. Acorn has released the complete collection of William and Mary which is, uh, stars Martin Clunes and Julie Graham, uh, both of whom have gone on to other shows. Uh, Doc Martin, of course, is, is what uh, Clunes is best known for. But uh, William, and, this is a, you know, William and Mary is a, is, a, is a very sweet show, wonderful uh, following. Uh, Map and Lucia, the complete collection, is also out. That's another lovely show based on the, uh, the books by E.F. Benson. Um, each of the previous seasons has been released individually, but uh, you get all six hours in one fantastic uh, shot here. So that's, uh, that's for those fans as well. They have also released, the, uh, from PBS, the uh, Classic English Literature Collection, Volume 2. This is something that PBS does from time to time, where they're just, they take a lot of their previous, re- previous releases and uh, put them into a nice box set. And if you have not previously bought The Mystery of Edwin Drood, Mansfield Park, The Turn of the Screw, or A Room with a View, um, you might want to pick up all of them in this. Now, mind you, this is not Mansfield Park and Room with a View, the, um, the more well-known feature-length versions. These are the ones that were done for British television. And, of course, uh, some of these, like The Mystery of Edwin Drood, are also available on Blu-ray, uh, which this does not have. This is strictly a DVD collection. So um, maybe a Blu-ray set will show up at some point if they feel the need to put Mansfield Park, Turn of the Screw, and Room with a View on uh, on Blu-ray. But at present, this is, um, you know, if you if you just only want the, the DVDs, it's a perfectly great option. And then uh, Hetty Wainthrop Investigates. Uh, this is also from Acorn. 
stars Patricia Rutledge, who uh, most of you know from uh, her fantastically hilarious turn in Keeping Up Appearances. Uh, she's not funny here. Here she's much more of a, in a Murder, She Wrote detective vein, and she's great, and it's a really, really good show that, was, uh, that ran for a while on uh, PBS Mystery. And uh, you get the complete series here uh, now in a nice uh, Acorn 12-disc set. And uh, then Acorn has also released Series 1 of Mr. and Mrs. Murder, which uh, I had never even heard of before. And, uh, you know, um, it's not bad, actually. Um, better, than, better than average uh, kind of a, you know, husband and wife mystery show. I, I will say it is a... Um, it does feel a little bit sometimes like a, like a ripoff of uh, Heart to Heart, um, but it's okay, you know. Um, certainly, certainly entertaining on every conceivable level. So uh, even if it's not brilliant, it's it's serviceable. Uh, Mark, are you still around? Mark. Yes. Hi, Wade. Hi there. Mark's Mark's doing his laundry. Okay. I am not. Take it over. Why are you giving me the Israel stuff? You say you give me the Israel stuff because I'm Jewish. Uh, because I, I'm not. I'm not qualified. Uh, I am not of the tribe. Israel, the royal tour with uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Peter Greenberg. This is. Um, I skimmed through this. I thought it was pretty you know, good. You know, he just effed up the traffic I- I- in Malibu the other day. Did he? Yeah, he went to some some party at some dumb somebody's house. I forget who it was. It was somebody threw a party for him on in one of the beach billionaire. Blanket bingo movies. Anyway, uh, you know. You he, he, anyway, the the government shut down one of the lanes on Pacific Coast Highway and screwed up traffic for like twenty hours. Damn Jews! Yeah. See, it turns out they own Hollywood. They really do own <laughs> Hollywood. Anyway, so uh, this particular tour of Israel has been uh, traversed many times before, uh, but not with Netanyahu, which I guess is a good thing. Um, Netanyahu and Peter Greenberg they visit um, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they raft on the Jordan River, and they go to all sorts of crazy places in Israel. And uh, it's interesting. You hear a lot about the um, history of Israel, the history of Netanyahu. Um, so, and, of course, Netanyahu's thoughts on the Middle East. And we all know he comes from a much more uh, hawkish perspective than some of the previous. Well, his brother was a war hero. I never knew, I never, hero. Never knew right. that before. That's right. Um, anyway, so Israel, the royal tour. Now, um, Wade and I love North Korea more than anything in the entire world. Even though we know that North Korea is a horrible, uh, a terrible, despotic uh, power, uh, we find them hilarious. We find them hilarious because they, 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 they think they scare us, it, it, it have us quaking in our boots, but we laugh at them. Yeah. Because they're, 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 they're ridiculous. I mean, stop that. Yeah, well, they, 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 they're trying to be a lot more intimidating than ridiculous at a certain point. Well, they so. always do. Yeah. It's a joke. Stop that. Yeah, well. you stop. People slap around. <laughs> okay. A little impetuous little child. Yeah. Anyway, The Secret State of North Korea is one in a, a series of um, many documentaries about North Korea. However, this frontline version is uh, all about life in North Korea under Kim Jong-un, the latest Kim to uh, assume power in North Korea and uh, it's great because it's awesome because I just love watching inside footage of North Korea I hear you I mean come on all right, and uh, we got a bunch of uh, really cheesy kind of horror stuff, a lot of zombies and viruses and various things like that, but this stuff has a following, so here we go. From CG Entertainment, a Korean film called Flu, uh, which is another one of these horrible virus movies uh, done with the, uh, the panache of, uh, of you know the Koreans, and uh, it, I, I, you know we've seen the whole virus thing, the virus takes over everybody, it's all kind of, uh, you know... Uh, 
a, a way of trying to tell a, a zombie tale uh, without actually using the word zombie. Um, I don't know. It's 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 perfectly fine. It's a uh, you know apocalyptic and uh, and adequate. Uh, didn't scare me a whole lot though. Uh, Tom Holland's Twisted Tales. Uh, Tom Holland, of course, directed Child's Play originally, and um, this is a an anthology, nine different tales in the. Uh, in you know the classic horror anthology uh, vein, it's not as good as Tales from the Dark Side. It's not as good as Twilight Zone. It's not as good as uh, Night Gallery or frankly any other anthology that I can think of. Um, you know, but it, 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 a couple of them are actually pretty good, and some of the others are are decent. Um, some of the actors in here are really good. So uh, I, you know, it's uh, <coughs> a middling anthology effort. Uh, from uh, the Accelerator Macabre line, Macabre by Accelerator is Outpost, Rise of the Spetsnaz. Uh, this is uh, another one of those uh, zombie tales that tries to sort of. Uh, I mean, this is, by the way, the third in this in this series, uh, which you know it's, they're Nazi zombies. Bottom line, if you if you're if you if you're on board with the whole. Spet Nazi, zombie Nazi thing, and if you saw the first two films, you'll totally vibe to this. If not, there's really kind of no point to, to watching it. Uh, 20 Feet Below, The Darkness Descending is a Danny Trejo movie. That should tell you absolutely everything that you need to know. Everything Danny Trejo has become a franchise unto himself in just the last few years. Uh, Machete did wonders for his career. It literally turned him into a, into a like straight-to-video, straight-to-DVD icon in the most bizarre way and I mean he was always a solid supporting player in movies but he never was a guy he was never the lead he was never a name that would actually sell uh, a title and he is now and so um, here it's you know and in, in he's just be, he's in a strange bizarre way he has become kind of an uh, uh, an anti-action hero is probably the only way to say it um, this is uh, another one of those films. Danny Trejo, you got, you're, you're supposed to root for him, and somehow we do. End of the World is another one of these ridiculous uh, uh, kind of a, apocalyptic uh, low-budget movies that tries to uh, foretell the horrible things that are going to happen to the Earth based on fill-in-the-blank. In this case, it's uh, electromagnetic blasts that are the, uh, the, the, the root of our doom. And um, it's preposterous, and the effects are poor, but it, uh, you know, whatever. And then lastly, a couple more zombie things from Screen Media Dark Side, Battle of the Undead. Uh, doesn't really add anything to uh, zombie lore, but uh, obviously writer, producer, director Aton Gaffney feels that he needs to put his mark on the whole zombie thing. So there it is. And uh, this adds a little bit of a terrorist uh, angle to it. And then also from the Scream Media Dark Side is Army of the Damned with uh, only one thing going for it. You know what that is, Mark? Uh, it's only 90 minutes. Michael Berryman. Michael? Oh, is that the guy with the weird the face? The Hills, Hills Have Eyes, Michael Berryman, the guy who was born with, with, with it's such an odd look that he had to be in movies. He was in Star Trek V. Because nobody's going to hire him to do retail. He was in Star Trek V. I know, but no one's going to hire him to do retail. Uh, anyway, this is, uh, you know, it, it's just another zombie movie, except it's got Michael Berryman in it. It all takes place in a small town, and there it is. Uh, Michael Berryman kind of looking less scary, by the way, as he gets older. I have to say, he's kind of growing into his looks. It took him long enough. It did, right? He earned that. Yeah. All right. 
So there we are. And uh, that is it for this week. Uh, come on back with us next week. We're going to have a lot of fantastic, really some amazing stuff coming up. i got to be honest. What? Some amazing titles. The some King amazing of Comedy stuff. is coming up on Blu-ray. The King amazing of Comedy. Amazing stuff next week. Next week we're going to have some amazing stuff. It's going to be a really, really good show. See you next week.